0: Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at the buglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Welcome to part two of the Bugle Ashes Earncast series preview. Uh, you may remember we left you on a tantalising cliffhanger when we decided uh, we were recording too much and could put this out as two episodes. So here is the second half of the series preview. I'm joined once again by Felicity Ward. Hello again, Felicity. How have you been since uh, we finished the last part of the show five minutes ago?
2: Exhausted. Right. Exhausted. Yeah, um, I'm hydrated now. I'm back. I've got my sad lamp on, so I'm ready to kick off part two.
0: compare this build-up of no cricket for either side. In the old days, they used to you know, have weeks on the boat to get out there, going back a long time. But even up until the 70s, they would play 20-25 days of competitive cricket before the first test. On the first test tour of Australia, 1876-77, to 77, the, f- the first test match was the 18th match of the tour. But in terms of build-up, England had got the boat to New Zealand for a few games and then come back to Melbourne to play what became then the first Test match, minus their wicket-keeper, Ted Pooley, who was unavailable for selection uh, because he was in jail uh, due to a gambling dispute in New Zealand. So... It
2: happens to the best of us. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. They would have taken a sparey, though, wouldn't they?
0: I think I mean, they generally only took sort of maybe 12 or 13 players on these tours, but yeah, I, um, I can't remember offhand who, uh, who kept wicket in that first, first test ring. But anyway... They lost. I don't if want to we can make it. a note, soon.
2: I think this is the first time Andy has ever not known something. So if we could flag that up, um, maybe if there's a trumpeting flourish right. we can play, I've found a, a dark spot.
0: I'm guessing, I'm, okay, I'm going to say it was a chap called Selby and now I'm going to look it up. I can't, look it up, I can't, look it up. I can't, I, can't, I can't leave that.
2: Imagine if I was responsible for the first time Andy didn't know something. I would feel so honoured. What a privilege.
0: Right, here comes the scorecard. Oh God. The wicketkeeper. John Selby, open the batting.
2: Oh, come on! You are such a nerd. You're my favourite nerd. I've
0: monetised my nerdery. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
2: You've got to speak to my husband. He's just a geek. <laughs>
0: Well, on the subject of the ancient history of this, uh, this wonderful sporting rivalry, exactly 100 years ago, well, 101, uh, but near enough, uh, the Ashes resumed after an eight-year World War One prompted hiatus. And so who better to help us set the scene for this year's showdown than the man who led Australia to victory in that series, their first 5-0 clean sweep of England in the 1920-21 Ashes, Warwick the Big Ship Armstrong. Now, sadly, the huge <laughs> man died in 1947, but thanks... To the bugle, other side of three thousand X Ouija record board, we can commune with the former baggy green skipper. Now uh, we'll just place the call. Warwick Armstrong, is is that you? Are you there? Hello. Uh, hi, I'm trying to, trying to get hold of uh, Warwick Armstrong, the former Australian uh, cricket captain. He's busy. W- what do you mean he's busy? He's dead.
2: Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. You
0: know, it's just between us. So, so who, who, who am I speaking to?
2: Aileen. I'm his wife. Who are you?
0: Oh, um, uh, hello, Aileen. I'm Amanda uh, Zoltzman from the Bugle Ashes Urncast. It's a, it's a podcast.
2: A what, mate?
0: Uh, you wouldn't understand. C- can you get Warwick for us? I was hoping to talk to him for our Ashes preview.
2: No, he's, busy. he's teaching Charlemagne the Great how to bowl leg spin.
0: Oh, fair enough. Uh, well, maybe you can talk to us then, uh, Aileen. I mean, what, what do you personally remember about the nineteen twenty twenty one series as the wife of the victorious Australian captain?
2: Well, I remember Warwick scored three centuries. <laughs>
0: well, that's a tremendous memory considering it was over a hundred years ago now.
2: Well, the thing is, every time he scored a hundred for Australia, I used to let him uh, 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 take me out for tea at the uh, at the tea rooms. Yes, yes, tea, un- unforgettable tea. You don't forget when a six foot three inch twenty one stone man. Had. Takes you out three times in
0: a season. It must have been a a very exciting time for you. Oh, it was. Uh, And for cricket, of course, um, you know, coming back after after the war. Now, obviously, the current Australian team have also had a bit of a break from the game. What do you think Warwick uh, would say to the Australian bowling attack if he were uh, alive today?
2: Tell him to go hard at Burns Offstuck first up. Um, push Hamid back with some short ones. Go full at Milan. Cut off roots, run, square of the wicket and make him drive. Try to stop Nathan Lyon crying when Ben Stokes comes in. Fast and straight with a bit of in-duck at Bearstow, Corridor to Butler. Like, don't give Wokes any room outside the stump. Yorkers to Robinson and Broad and let Jimmy have a nod out.
0: Well, that's bang on point. Sounds like he's still got it.
2: We've still got it. I used to sit by the boundary holding up different cakes for different bowlers, and if he did what I told him, he got to eat them.
0: And did he do what you told him?
2: Have you seen the size of him? <laughs> yes. Gotta go now, Andy. I'm meeting Joan of Arc for a game of cribbage. Oh,
0: uh, well, Alien Armstrong, Mrs. Big Ship, thank you very much for joining us.
2: You little beauty! <laughs>
0: A uh, world-exclusive interview there for the Bugle Ashes Uncast. Now, uh, Felicity, let's look at some of the uh, the key players who we think are going to help shape this series. Mm. I mean, for England, Ben Stokes has returned from injury and a, and a break from the game uh, for his mental health. One of the iconic sportsmen of uh, uh, modern England, uh, certainly one of the, mm. the great cricketers of the world. Justin Langer uh, said this week that he still has nightmares about the Headingley Test when Ben Stokes played one of the most incredible innings to win the game for England by... One wicket um, also said that no one should say the words worst fielding mistake in cricket history with an earshot of Nathan Lyon. Mm. But here's an interesting Mm -hmm. thing about Stokes. I I was looking at the stats because I I had this hunch that when Ben Stokes plays, he makes other players better around him. He's one of those players that kind of just raises the whole level of the team. Uh, So I thought I'd see if I could get some statistical backing up for that. And it turns out it's uh, completely wrong. And actually almost all of the players who played (laughs) a lot of cricket with Stokes do better without him in the team. (laughs) So I don't know quite how to explain this. So there's eight England players who played at least ten tests with Stokes and ten tests without Stokes since Stokes first played in December 2013. Root Cook, Bairstow, Butler, Wokes, Broad, Anderson and Moen Alley. And the only ones who have a better batting average when Stokes plays are Broad and Anderson, who bat right down at the bottom of the order. And all of the bowlers have done better when Stokes has been absent apart from Moeen Ali of that selection. It's really weird. And England's results are almost the same with Stokes and without Stokes. They've won 31, lost 32 with him. They've won 11, lost 10 without him. And this really surprised me because he's a tremendous player and you know one of these sort of forces of nature that seems to grasp games to his personal will. And yet the stats suggest that it doesn't really matter to England whether he plays or not.
2: Look, I think what it says is it's a win-win situation. Right. You either get Ben Stokes and you get to see New Zealand's finest uh, (laughs) playing for England, or you don't get Ben Stokes and you get to see England as a team play better. So that's, you know. Right,
0: okay. You can't have your cake
2: and eat it too. He's the cake, he's the Kiwi cake. He's a Pavlova. Pissing off all my Australian listeners. Hello, mates. Pavlova. I know. I know. Oh,
0: yes, we don't want to start another war.
2: I know. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to stir shit up.
0: So, I mean, this is this is one of the the great sources of conflict in the world, and you know, the dispute over the pavlova, which some of our listeners might not be aware of, but the, the origin of the pavlova is claimed by both New Zealand and Australia.
2: Mm. Very much the opposite of Russell Crowe. Right. Where we both try and say, oh, no, he's from New Zealand. And then New Zealand like, no, 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 he lived in Australia most of his life.
0: For me, his cousins played cricket for New Zealand, so that's all the evidence you could possibly need.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Who uh, is your key player for Australia, Felicity?
2: Look, my key player for Australia is David Warner. Right. And not because I like him. I just don't know what he needs to do to not make the team. It's not playing badly. He's played badly and yeah. they they keep him in. There was a double bounce that he absolutely smashed into a six, I think, yeah. recently. So he let a double bounce and then he hit it for six yeah. and then walked. And that was called terrible sportsmanship. He was part of the ball tampering scandal. Like, does he have to kidnap a child? What does this man have to do to get off the Australian team? He is... I want to know what he has on Cricket Australia. What does well, he know?
0: Well, what they have with Warner is his numbers. Felicity, and I'll keep coming back to stats. He had a terrible series against England in 2019, kept getting out to Stuart Broad, a load of single-figure scores. He had a couple of unproductive tests against India in the last Australian <laughs> summer. But <laughs> in Australia, from 2013-14, Ashes, up to the end of the 2019-20 series, before the pandemic, 31 home tests, 1,500s, an average nearly 72. So I guess you've got to cut him a bit of slack, even if you might not necessarily invite him around for Sunday lunch.
2: Yeah, okay. So that was 2013 to when?
0: To, well, basically early 2020.
2: But he was out because of the ball tampering scandal. Yeah, he
0: missed a, missed a year in that.
2: So he missed a year and yeah. then he's played badly since Well, no, he did, he
0: did all right. So after the Ashes, in which he did very badly, he then had quite a good summer, albeit against sort of weaker teams in 2019-20. Then didn't then he mm. had I think he had an injury and didn't only played two games against India.
2: I mean, none so. of what you're saying is convincing me. Right? Okay. You know what I'm saying? There's a there's a there's like some behaviour that he bore consequences for, and then he didn't play well, and then he played okay, and then in India he played terrible. Uh, like when he played against India, he played terribly. I just ah, I want him to play well, but I don't. It's an enigma to me. It's yes. kind of like the fact that Jimmy Anderson is still alive <laughs> and on on the English team. How is he not in the commentary box? Well, he is How in the... the f*** is he still on the, still well, on the he, pitch? He
0: is in the commentary box as well as playing. He does he does do some commentary on the one-day cricket and um, <laughs> he's a <laughs> incredible athlete. But, yeah, he's so he's nearly 40 now and from speaking to him when he's worked with the BBC, I think he sort of... Mentally earmarked retirement for when he turns 67, which I think is the state retirement age. Uh, I just around no, the corner. No no sense that he has any intention of ever giving up <laughs> playing. So.
2: Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. He's just going to be one of those sinewy old men out on the cricket field going, come on, you've got another run." He wants to
0: play for England until he's 90. I'm going to go higher than 67 now. And he's in great shape. It's so
2: beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I love it. I mean, he could go on 10 years long service leave and still come back fresh (laughs) as a daisy, (laughs) ready for the nets, you know?
0: Just loves playing cricket. It's um, it's quite He loves playing cricket. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life
2: with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
0: Warner's success or failure, I think, is one of the keys to this series. If England have any chance, I think they, they have to be able to get to Labashain at three and Smith at, uh, at four. Labashain's been incredible since he came in in the 2019 yep. Ashes series. Steve Smith's last two series against England, the last time in Australia, 687 runs, average 137. Last time in England, 774, and he missed a test and a half Averaged 110. I think you can probably make a statistical argument that that is the best anyone's batted in a series in the history of test match cricket. And I'm prepared to show my working on that one if anyone gives a shit.
2: 130 is an average? Yes. Like, just f*** off. (laughs) That's incredible. That's incredible. Like, it used to be like, if 77 was your average in test, you were like... Who is this guy? 130. Come on.
0: Yes, but actually I think he batted better and when he averaged only 110 in the series in England, so the conditions the conditions were tougher.
2: Well, the conditions were he had a concussion.
0: <laughs> well, yes, yes, had a concussion and came back and scored a sort of Ashes clinching double century. Uh, it was so rude. A, a, an amazing performance. But since then, nine tests average 40. Just 100. So is he declining or is it just a little glitch, Felicity? That's another key to this series, I think.
2: I don't think there's any um, way you can predict what's going to happen with Steve Smith. I don't think that he follows algorithms, patterns, logic. He is just his own entity. So Steve Smith could really come out and just, I think he just wakes up and goes, yeah, all right, I'll get 100 There doesn't seem to be any stakes for him. It's just I might play a game of cricket today and it happens to be at the Ashes. In the Gabba, first test, first match, fine. I don't don't think he gets really overwhelmed by anything or takes anything into consideration in bigger context, which is why initially he didn't think the ball tampering scandal was that big a thing because nothing is a big deal to him. No context, Steve. That's what I'm going to call it. (laughs)
0: And he has, for our listeners who maybe come from the bugle and don't necessarily follow cricket, a really weird style of batting. It looks like he learned to bat in a gallery full of Picasso paintings. Yes. It looks like it shouldn't work. Things are just coming at weird angles and in the way they, they sh- doesn't look right and yet somehow it's perfect.
2: Yeah, it looks like he could injure himself at any given point and he doesn't. Like if anyone else did that, they would be in rehab. Yes, with their body, just going. <laughs> oh no, no, no! They've I've pulled something in my knee and my ear.
0: Another key player for me, this is a, a new one for our Australian listeners. Hasib Hamid, young uh, opening mm. batsman, made his debut for England as a teenager in India uh, five years ago now, and he played beautifully in that series, got a couple of half centuries. Then broke his finger, and his form totally disappeared. He ended up being. Dropped by his county, then moved county to Nottinghamshire. Finally got back into the England team last summer. So he had a sort of four and a half year gap from the England team. And the first ball back, clean bowled. Just missed it, like a, you know looked like a village player. And everyone thought, oh. Oh, well, after all that that waiting. He had a couple of really good innings in the rest of the series against very strong Indian bowling attack. And he's a very patient player, got silk and stroke play, soft-handed defence. And there's some sort of excitement amongst English cricket fans that you know, then we might not just have a good opener, but an opener who isn't absolutely terrible to watch. Because a lot of England's top-order players recently have been, you know, shall we say, not the most stylistically pleasing players. And he replaced Dominic Sibley in the team, who uh, came to the team after the last Ashes in late 2019. And they score at the same rate, but in different styles. So Hamid is like watching a virtuoso pianist playing a Schubert piano sonata. And uh, watching Sibley is like watching Freddy Krueger playing a concerto for Chainsaw and Septic Tank full of Baby Wildebeest. So, you know, different ways of doing the same thing.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I'm picking up there's a slight difference there. Yeah, yeah.
0: And my final key player is, and this is uh, often a key player in the ashes, is La Nina. The uh, weather event. (laughs) So we have El Nino, which brings hot weather, and La Nina, which brings cold weather, uh, further evidence of uh, patriarchal bias in the world. Mm -hmm. A La Nina event has been declared in Australia this Australian summer, which basically means it's going to be wetter and colder. Now, in Australian summers that have had a La Nina event since 1903 that have coincided with an Ashes series, England have won five and lost four. With El Nino, when it's been hot and dry, England have won one and lost five. So La Nina has coincided with most of England's victories in Australia over the last hundred years. So again, this series is already in the bag just because it's a bit cold and wet.
2: Yeah, I mean, cold is a strong word for what you're experiencing. It's definitely wet, but what are we talking, like 21 degrees over there?
0: Yeah, mid-20s, yeah. Yeah,
2: mid-20s. Pardon me. That was rude. Um, It's, yeah. I think that sometimes the sheer humidity will play into the Australians' hands because that's one thing that we can handle, especially for all the Queensland players. Um, They used to be, they sweat through winter. You know what I mean? So they're really used to uh, drinking the air. Yep. (laughs) And I love also that El Nino, that's hot, meant that they only won one. But El Nino, where they played in the usual conditions, meant they only won one more than Australia. So it's (laughs) it's marginally worse. In terms of England's
0: history in Australia, that's a huge difference.
2: Sorry, sorry. (laughs) It is less terrible, everyone. Let's celebrate.
0: We are indeed celebrating.
2: Because, I mean, the last time England won Ashes in Brisbane was 35 years ago, yeah? Uh, Yeah,
0: 1986. Uh, They won in Brisbane. Stand back. It's a Brisbane stat whack.
2: Stat whack.
0: Uh, Felicity, there have been 21 Ashes tests at the Gabba in Brisbane. Australia have won Mm -hmm. 12. England have won four. Five draws. Of those 16 victories, the winning team at Brisbane has won the Ashes 14 times. Only twice has a team won at Brisbane and lost the Ashes. The last 11 instances of a team winning at Brisbane... They've gone on to win the Ashes. The last time any team lost at Brisbane, the last of the two, was when England got battered in 1954-55 in the first test and went on to win the series 3-1. So Brisbane is important to the results of Ashes series. That is your stat for the week.
2: It's a lovely stat. And just for our listeners, the Aboriginal name for Brisbane is Mianjin and the Gabba is in Gabba. And I found out that woolen means fight speak and gabber means place. So it is the place to speak fight. And I believe that's what's going to take place.
0: That's certainly what the crowd usually does, there, by the sounds of it.
2: Uh, Yes, fight, abuse, whatever (laughs) you want to call it. (laughs)
0: As I mentioned, Brisbane has not been a particularly happy hunting ground for England, and uh, we're going to delve into the Bugle commentary archive now for some examples of when the Ashes has started to go wrong in Brisbane after one ball, or in some cases, no balls, starting with 2006. (laughs) Here comes Harmison. then, with the first ball of England's attempt to retain the Ashes after their magnificent win in 2005, in which the big Durham paceman bowled so splendidly. And in he comes now, he's up, he's past the umpire, he bowls. F***! f- shit! What the f***? What in the name of... Oh, God. I didn't- it's not physically possible to bowl it that- what the What happened to physics? Physics should not do that. Oh, 2002. Well, the two captains out in the middle of the Gabba now and a crucial toss here in Brisbane. It looks like an absolutely perfect batting pitch. I'll tell you, this has got 364 for two at the close of day one written all over it. If I know anything about this game, up goes the coin and... Yes, yeah, so it looks like England have won the toss. Nas Sain has called correctly for under the eighth time in his last 29 games, of course, and England will bat first on this beautiful batting... What the f***? What a, what's he done? NASA Tell him your men will have a bat! 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 1994. Well, the first ball of the series here in Brisbane. England must start well after three heavy series losses in a row to the old enemy, and it's Philip De Freitas with the new ball, fresh from a terrific 30 wicket. Home summer in which he re-established himself as England's Premier Bowler, facing him, Michael Slater. We know what a tremendous cutter of the ball he is, so the last thing England will want is to drop short and give him any width early on. So here's the Freitas now. And he's up, and he bowls. God, oh, what what part of don't bowl short and wide are you struggling to understand? <laughs> God, it's over. This series is over, there's only one ball in. 1936.
3: And welcome to the bugle wireless transmission of this, the first test here in Brisbane in, uh, what is it now, December 1936, I would say. Uh, I am the Reverend Obadiah Zoltzman, and joining me in the commentary area, it's the former Australian cricket captain, Warwick Armstrong. Say
2: hello to the listeners, Warwick.
3: Hello, listeners. And uh, we are here at the uh, Oolongabba ground in, in Brisbane for what looks likely to be the final Ashes series here in Australia before the Second World War begins. We're still waiting for confirmation on that, of course. And uh, it's Stanley Worthington taking strike for the first ball for England. The Derbyshire man looking confident at the crease. And to bowl for the Colonials, it's Ernest McCormick, the large, fast bowler. And he comes in, he bowl short and... <laughs> f*** me, the bloody idiot's gone for a f***ing hook shot. First ball of the f***ing series. He bloody looped it in the air, caught by the sodding keeper. Castly uh, buffoon has gone for a duck.
2: Tell him it was a shit shot, Warwick. Uh,
3: that was not a good shot by Worthington.
2: Good boy. Tell him he should have ducked it or defended it.
3: Uh, he, sh- he should have ducked or, or, or played a defensive shot.
2: Batsmen today, they got no patience.
3: Uh, yes, dear. Uh, shit on a stick. Uh, six weeks on the f***ing <coughs> boat to watch this f***ing <coughs> <coughs> shower. Shit. Uh, anyway, here's the number three batsman. It's Arthur Fagg of Kent. Don't expect much from him. He did <coughs> against India in the summer. Six f***ing weeks on the
0: boat. Six f***ing weeks. Well, let's hope England starts better uh, this time. Of course, they did go on to win that game in 1936 before losing uh, the Series 3-2. Uh, well, before we leave, uh, Felicity, just a quick update on uh, the availability of the players. Now often there's worries about fitness uh, coming into uh, the Series. Uh, more a concern is... The players have just had absolutely sod all to do and um, mm. have been. many of them have been really struggling with being so distracted that they're unable to, to play cricket. But uh, the good news is just hearing that uh, Australian Seamster Josh Hazelwood should be uh, available to play despite spending 12 hours inventing his own alphabet yesterday so he can leave coded messages for future generations about how he went about constructing an <laughs> opening spell. For England, the nicest man in cricket, Chris Wokes, also set to be available despite having spent three days in quarantine trying unsuccessfully to make a toy motorcycle pyramid using a box of tea bags, a hotel ballpoint pen and two satsumas. Australian opener Marcus Harris cleared for the first test despite having watched the film Gladiator 14 times in the last five days after becoming convinced that because ageing emperor Marcus Aurelius was played by actor Richard Harris and he is called Marcus Harris and there are centurions (laughs) in the film, that the film contains hidden messages to him explaining how to score a test century. Uh, England squad batter Dan Lawrence... Available for standby duty after recovering from an existential crisis provoked by seeing a video about the size of the universe. Whilst Australia's young all rounder Cameron Green also cleared to play after punching an admittedly difficult Sudoku puzzle in the newspaper after writing the number 11 in one of the boxes due to confusion about the rules. And finally, England's breakthrough summer pace bowler Ollie Robinson has cleared himself to play after finishing a 24 book Homeric style epic poem in Iamic Hexameter about Sussex's thrilling. County Championship match against Worcestershire in 2016, in which Robinson sadly took only one wicket. So all those players set for the big start. Any news that you've heard from your sources?
2: Just a couple of injuries. Yep. Yeah. Just a couple of injuries. Yes. Yeah, Stuart Broad is still recovering from being six foot seven and having right. to catch a 24-hour flight. He's been doing stretching for two weeks straight, but he cannot get the white noise out of his ear or the cramp out of his calf. And finally, Alex Carey has full explosive diarrhoea from the idea. <laughs> of playing his first game of international test cricket at the Gabba in the Ashes. (laughs) So we're sending you love and modium, Alex.
0: Well, uh, we will have full and exclusive reports on the results of the first test in uh, episode two of the Bugle Ashes Urncast. Before we go this week, Felicity, what's your prediction for the series as a whole? Final score after five tests, if indeed
2: those tests don't get pulled off. I think it's going to be... I think Australia are going to win Gabba. I think England will win two. I think there'll be a draw. And then I think England will win 3-1. Oh,
0: that's a huge call. Going for massively against the odds.
2: Home defeat. I mean, it's 2021. Right. Nothing that's existed before is happening at the moment. So I'm going... Wild card, and hopefully, I am absolutely terrible at predicting games. So, in a little bit of reverse psychology, if I predict that England will win 3 1, then I assume it will be an Australian whitewash.
0: Most people are going for quite a big Australian win in this series. I I think it could be quite close. Mm. I'm going to go with a hopelessly optimistic two all, but you've gone for 3 3 1, England. I mean, traditionally, Australians tend to predict. 5-0 particularly Glenn McGrath and we're just hearing uh, breaking news Uh, that's the Australian fast bowling legend has said that he would be able to bowl this England side out even if he lost both arms in a threshing machine accident. No problem, said the big former fast bowler. I'd just stick the ball in my mouth and gob it at them on an awkward and persistent line and length outside off stump. He added, I only really use my arms because I had them. So, uh, <laughs> McGrath is confident.
2: <laughs> confident no, there. look, it's, it's very, very exciting. I'm really excited about Pat Cummins, yep. but there's so much of an unknown quantity. There's so many players that are playing their first test or their fourth test match ever, and it's at the Gabba. Um, I'm really excited to see Labuschagne um hitting new strides. I think he's a real long term player. I absolutely love him. I love watching him play. I love his attitude. I love that he plays out of spite. I love that he taps into his uh, South African appearance of probably being the nicest guy out there, but looks very mean.
0: <laughs> and bubblegum. Yeah. Lot of bubblegum, minus A Lot of
2: bubblegum. A lot of bubble, bubble yeah. bill. <laughs> yeah. Remember when you were a kid and you like something it was like A a trait, if you could blow the biggest bubble. I was like, oh, he can blow the biggest bubble. Oh, he's so cool. I was thinking about that the other day. Lockdown's been hard. Yeah,
0: I don't remember that, but then mostly I was reading cricket books as a kid. So, different childhoods, I guess.
2: (laughs) Oh, could I also say, very proud of Jai Richardson's parents, who's managed to work an H into his name, Jai. (laughs) And little-known fact, it used to be uh, that if you could hear a seagull, you knew were, you were near water. Uh, likewise, in Australia, if someone is called Jai, you are within 30 miles of the ocean. Right, okay. um, This also stands for Kai, and to a lesser extent, Jadens and Cadens, as they can now be found further inland as well. Right,
0: okay. So, I mean, that's J-H-Y-E. I mean, it feels like they've crammed about eight spelling mistakes into one syllable there, but...
2: Yeah, it's got a real Welsh vibe to it. Needs a couple more L's, and then we'll be fine. Hi.
0: We will be back after the first test from Brisbane to tell you what happened. It is also available on other outlets um, such as BBC Radio. Until then, goodbye. Oh, you can listen to other programs from the Bugle, including the Bugle, the Last Post, Tiny Revolutions, and the Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.